Howdy friends, this is Matt Sewell and you're listening to episode 96 of the Popecast, a history of the papacy. The only podcast about popes where you'll find non-boring stories on the successors of St. Peter and a reminder that all of the world's problems have happened plenty of times before. Before we get going, a quick thank you to all of you who have signed up recently to receive Today in Papal History, our other papal project for those who haven't hopped on that train yet. Today in Papal History is our regular newsletter on pontifical happenings from that calendar date, uh, whatever day it is, across the 2,000-year history of the papacy. And you can sign up for that too for free or with a paid subscription at popes.substack.com. That's popes.substack.com. Well, our Pope this week was your garden variety early church pontiff, battling heresy, beautifying churches, being an all-around good guy. But one thing set him apart— sending a certain snake-expelling bishop on mission to a little island in the North Atlantic and changing the face of the world forever. This week on the Popecast, it's the Pope who sent St. Patrick to Ireland, Pope St. Celestine I. The Catholic Church's first of five popes, Celestine, was born around the year 376 AD in the Eternal City herself. Little is known of his early life other than that his father's name was Priscus, and that he may have even been a relative of the Roman Emperor Valentinian, who had ruled for 11 years just before Celestine's birth. The Catholic Encyclopedia notes that he may have lived for some time in Milan as a student of the great St. Ambrose, the man who also mentored and baptized St. Augustine. But the first sure historical appearance by Celestine is from a letter written in the year 416 by St. Innocent I when he was 40 years of age, being referenced as Celestine the Deacon. Two years later, and four years before he was elevated to the chair of Peter, Augustine himself wrote the first of two letters to Celestine, in this case simply returning a letter that the future pope had apparently sent to the North African bishop sometime previously. Celestine I followed St. Boniface I as Pope when he was elected on September 10th, 422, beginning a reign that would stretch just a month and a half shy of ten years. It was this very occasion that caused Augustine to write Celestine the second time, but in this case with a very somber topic to share. In this letter we see Augustine sharing a painful and eminently human problem, which is a bit jarring for him, given that he's known to us these days as a towering figure who left behind his profligate life to fully embrace a life of Christian service. But alas, no one is perfect, and in this case Augustine had apparently not only allowed a particularly bad bishop, Antonius, to rule over a diocese that was in desperate need of a shepherd, but Augustine himself was the one that recommended and installed Antonius in his post. Here's how Augustine described it to the Pope. Quote, He had been from childhood brought up in a monastery by us, but beyond officiating as a reader, he had no experience of the labors pertaining to the various degrees of rank in the clerical office. The unhappy people, not knowing what was to follow, submissively trusting me, accepted him on my suggestion. What need I say more? The deed was done. He entered on his office as their bishop. End quote. Augustine did end up basically deposing Antonius, but he was so anxious about the whole affair and so guilt-ridden that he literally didn't know what to do with himself, and so here was one of the great doctors of the church appealing to the Pope in Rome for advice. Augustine ended his letter effectively offering his resignation to Celestine, if you can believe it. Here's Augustine, quote, As for myself, I must acknowledge to your holiness that in the danger which threatens both, I am so racked with anxiety and grief that I think of retiring from the responsibilities of the Episcopal office 
and abandoning myself to demonstrations of sorrow corresponding to the greatness of my error. If I shall see, through the conduct of him in favor of whose election to the bishopric I imprudently gave my vote, the church of God laid waste, and God forbid even perish, involving in its destruction the man by whom it was laid waste. Recollecting what the apostle says, if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged, from 1 Corinthians. I will judge myself, that he may spare me who is hereafter to judge the quick and the dead. If, however, you succeed in restoring the members of Christ in that district from their deadly fear and grief, and in comforting my old age by the administration of justice tempered with mercy, he who brings deliverance to us through you in this tribulation, and who has established you in the seat which you occupy, shall recompense unto you good for good, both in this life and in that which is to come. End quote. Well, what a way to start his pontificate. But I also want to note at the end of that, note how Augustine says, he who has established you in the seat which you occupy, it's a clear reference to Celestine's position as the Bishop of Rome. And in his letter to the Bishop of Rome, it's utterly impractical to send it clear across uh, you know, a whole continent, two continents for that matter. And so I think it shows the clear primacy of the position of the Bishop of Rome in relation to all the other bishops of the world. And this is only in the fifth century, but I digress. Thankfully, Celestine appears to have either refused to allow Augustine to quit, or the great bishop was just able to put the matter to rest in time and continue to serve the church until his own death in 430. And on that occasion, Celestine wrote a moving tribute to the bishops in Gaul, modern-day France, on the greatness, virtue, and holiness of St. Augustine as a way to honor his memory and encourage prayers for his intercession. Elsewhere in the church, several potent heresies had been brewing, notably Manichaeans, the Star Wars heresy, if you will, that there's still an undecided battle between good and evil. There were the Donatists, who believed that priests needed to be particularly holy for their sacraments and prayers to work. And then there were Pelagians, those who believe a person basically can legitimately work their way into heaven without the help of divine grace. And yet, as the Catholic Encyclopedia notes, quote, Celestine's firm but gentle character were upholding the rights of the church and the dignity of his office, end quote. Celestine was able to enlist the help of Placidia, mother of the boy emperor Valentinian III, to boot the Manichaeans and other pesky heretics from Rome for causing various uproars, and he went a step further by expelling the number two to Pelagius, after whom the Pelagian heresy is named, from Italy entirely while waiting for the heresy itself to be condemned in 431 at the Council of Ephesus. Celestine also busied himself with making sure the various groups of bishops in the Christian world at the time were upholding their respective obediences to their superiors, particularly when it came to consecrating new bishops, holding new councils or synods, uh, clerical dress. Basically, he was flexing just enough muscle to remind each group who their ultimate boss was. And spoiler, it was him. (laughs) In the latter half of his papacy, in the year 428, specifically, a new heresy sprang forth that required Celestine's attention. Nestorius, the newly appointed patriarch of Constantinople, was initially given a warm welcome by Celestine, in a letter sent commemorating his new post. I mean, that was pretty customary. But that goodwill quickly chilled. The Catholic Encyclopedia has a story. Quote, Nestorius soon aroused suspicions of his orthodoxy by receiving kindly the Pelagians banished from Rome by the Pope. And shortly after, rumors of his heretical teaching concerning the twofold personality of Christ reached Rome. Celestine commissioned Cyril, Bishop of Alexandria, to investigate and make a report. End quote. Now, Cyril who is revered as a great saint and also a doctor of the church in the Catholic tradition, quickly concluded his investigation 
and determine the story is to be teaching heresy, specifically referring to Mary, mother of God, as simply Christotokos, Greek for Christ-bearer, and thus trying to make a distinction between Jesus Christ's divine and human nature, basically. And then he also was discarding, of course, the words of St. Elizabeth in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verse 43, when she says, And why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? End quote. So that's the basis for the heresy. This would also be settled at Ephesus a few years later, of course, where Mary would be given her proper title of Theotokos, or God-bearer. But in the meantime, Celestine gave Cyril the necessary authority to excommunicate Nestorius for his error, unless he apparently repented of it within 10 days. He didn't, so out he went. For all these notable actions of Pope St. Celestine I, perhaps the most prominent is one that he took, as the story goes, mere weeks or even days before he died in 432 AD. According to the Catholic Encyclopedia, again, it was Celestine I who officially sent the great St. Patrick on mission to evangelize Ireland. Celestine had sent Palladius to to the Emerald Isle as bishop the year prior, but apparently Palladius would return to Britain for some reason before too long and died there soon afterwards. And so, Patrick was next up to go in his stead. Celestine, quote, thus becomes a sharer in the conversion of the race that in the next few centuries was to accomplish such vast works by its countless missionaries and scholars in the conversion and civilization of the barbarian world, end quote. Celestine died on August 1st, 432 AD, and his tomb now lies in the Basilica of St. Praxedes in Rome, moved there in 822 by Pope St. Paschal I, after originally being interred in the catacombs of St. Priscilla. His feast day is July 27th in the Catholic Church and April 8th in the Eastern Orthodox Church, and he's frequently depicted alongside a dove, a dragon, or a flame. I can think of worse things to be depicted with after death. But at any rate, that about does it for the life of Pope St. Celestine I. A lot packed into just a decade, that's for sure. If you're enjoying the show and have been meaning to get around to it, if you're a brand new listener and you really want to support what we're doing here at the Popecast, uh, please consider becoming a patron of the show over at patreon.com slash thepopecast. And please, for sure, leave us a rating, preferably five stars, of course and a review over at iTunes and Spotify. It really helps new listeners to find the show. Plus, if you post a review or email us your thoughts, uh, matt at thepopecast.fm. We always like to read those out on the air with your permission to give you a thanks and a shout out. And as we head out today, let us remember well the life of Celestine I and ask for the grace to become more like him, gentle and kind, but firm in our pursuit of goodness and truth. And above all, never forget, these are strange times we live in but they are no stranger than in ages past. Until next time.